Hey y'all, this is Mel Offlerbach and you're listening to Green Juice and Tequila. Green Juice and Tequila represents the earthy, organic, natural vibes colliding with raw, imperfect, and unfiltered stories. Some of us can have it all together, y'all. Eating the latest health nut craze, drink our green juice, meditate every morning. But we also have a side that's vulnerable, real, and sometimes stressed. Life throws you curveballs, y'all, and that's okay. You can be both, green juice and tequila. excited that you guys have joined me on another episode of Green Juice and Tequila, and I'm even more excited to have an amazing guest on this episode today, and she's a friend of mine, and just learning more about her and her passion and, and vibes for life, I'm just like super grateful to have my friend Sarah Brand on this episode. Sarah Brand is the founding general partner of True Wealth Ventures. She's a mama, a yogi, and a gal in tech who's just made some big shifts to the industry for women, especially in the tech industry. So um, thanks, Sarah, for being on my podcast today. I'm super excited. (laughs) Very happy to be here and very happy to be introduced as a yogi for the first time in my my life. Well, that's how how we like have really gotten closer, I feel like, having you come into the studio and taking class and been good stuff. So Sarah, okay. I, so you guys, we're going to get into some techie stuff. Um, I know a lot of my viewers, we tend to, I mean, we talk about a slew of things, but the basis of this is I want women to feel inspired and empowered. And that's one thing that I know Sarah is very passionate about with the industry that she's in. So why don't you kind of just take us across the board on how you came to the place that you're in now, what started True Wealth Ventures and, you know, your journey up to that point. Mm -hmm. And we'll kind of start there. I mean, we can even get into like, I love your story of your parents and, you know, that first little, little spark of interest of what direction you were going to go into. Um, Well, let's see. Uh, Maybe let me start with where I am and then I'll back up. Love it. So uh, I have a venture capital firm called True Wealth Ventures. Uh, It's me and another woman, general partner, Carrie Rupp. We invest exclusively in women-led companies that are improving environmental or human health. And we also invest in companies that have some kind of consumer or patient pull-through because women, well, when there are more women in leadership positions at companies... They do significantly better financially, whether it's smaller, you know, venture capital-backed startups or big Fortune 500 companies. But then the markets in which we invest, women are making the majority of decisions. They're making 85%-ish, you know, of consumer purchase decisions and 80% or so of healthcare decisions. And so we think investing in those markets where women are making the vast majority of purchase decisions will have an additional advantage when they have gender diversity on their leadership Mm -hmm. teams. We call it the duh thesis sometimes <laughs> because it seems really obvious, yet nobody yeah. seems to be doing it. I like that. Yeah. So that's that's what we're doing. And <clears throat> how I got there was, I guess, so in my youth, I 
have friends who, when I go to high school reunions, are like, oh, this is the woman I told you about who knew exactly what she wanted to do when she was in, like, seventh grade. No way. Yeah, so people think I knew what I wanted to do forever ago, but I think it was just because I knew I wanted to study engineering and was just typical type A, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go change the world somehow. Yeah. So I got three degrees in mechanical engineering. My dad was a mechanical engineer, so I think I was just exposed to this is a choice I have where I can learn how things work. And I was always interested in how things were made and how they worked. So that would just seem like an obvious path, um, sort of the liberal arts of engineering, of mechanical engineering, where you can kind of go anywhere from there. And then uh, shifted gears completely and went into management consulting after getting my PhD because I really decided I wanted to understand how business worked. I ultimately wanted to make a big impact and that, you know, that more technical work had a less of a chance of making a big impact potentially because it may work, it may not work. I was in a lot of material science kind of stuff where, you know, it was very researchy. And so anyway, I decided I need to really understand how business folks are applying the technologies that I'm looking at because that's where where it's really going to scale. Mm-hmm. So went into um, management consulting, which my dad had also done. Awesome. So I so think that's again, your inspiration there. That was like kind of what yeah helped lead you down this. I don't know if it's inspiration, but it's also like <laughs> I was aware that it was a career choice yeah. where you know they're, they're very male dominated. You know, mechanical engineering, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so I just had it had it in my awareness where I think most people just aren't seeing that as a choice, really. Yeah. Uh, but I also think I was proving myself. Like, my dad wasn't a kid person, and so I related to him by being an adult and talking about the things that he liked to talk about. Yeah. So I think that underlying, you know, well, if you thanks, get, like, a really thanks, deep, Dad. that's... Yeah, yeah thanks, we're grateful that that was the case <laughs> because you're doing some awesome things now. Yeah. So, so then I went into venture capital after that because venture capital was this fantastic blend of both things that I enjoyed, which was using my technical background to meet with these entrepreneurs, often engineers, who were baking up the next great ideas, but then also having that management consulting hat on to go help the portfolio companies that were in the VC firm's you know, investment portfolio to go help them with business challenges, marketing challenges, whatever technical challenges. So I loved that blend. Yeah. So I knew I loved VC. I wanted to do that long term, but I also really wanted to get more operational experience and not just be, I was pretty young. You know, I just got my engineering, I got, I, yeah. whatever. I'd worked when I was getting my engineering degrees or in between, but still, <laughs> you know, it was like not. Okay, I'm ready. I'm going for it. Yeah. And being a woman, everything too. Like I just wanted more experience to be open more doors. Yeah. So I went and got more operational experience by joining a company um, called AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, Semiconductor Company out in Silicon Valley. Yep. That's where I was. And, um, and that's what brought me back to Austin because all their management sits in Austin. Mm-hmm. And I had gone to UT as an undergrad. So I knew I loved Austin. Of course. Um, and I knew that it would be a fantastic city for venture capital because there was so little venture capital. And how in, long ago was that? That was in 2005 oh, wow. that I moved back. So was there not like a venture capital presence really in Austin during that time? There was Austin Ventures. Okay. And that was like it. Shut up. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you, for, you were foreseeing, like you had 
like aspirations, like you wanted to help build that. Did you have any idea that you were going to do a woman VC? No, not at all. Nor did I ever think I would do my own. Yeah. I just thought I'll get some operational experience, Mm -hmm. get settled in, and then go join a fund, go, you know, another firm. I never thought I would fundraise myself or start. Yeah, no, that was never, or any women aspect. And so that happened much later. I spent a little over 10 years actually at AMD. So I got way more operational experience oh, yeah. than I you know, intended to, but it was fantastic. I mean, I just had, so plus I had two children during that time. I started a business with my husband. Like I just didn't literally have any bandwidth to like do anything different mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Um, kept getting great opportunities. So we got to run several business lines. We had to do lots of merger and acquisition work, which was a really good experience for mm-hmm. being in venture capital of acquiring companies and integrating them into you know bigger companies. So it was all great work still for my future. Um, but then I was asked to be the executive sponsor of the Global Women's Forum because I was the only woman, they said, who was a vice president who had any operational or technical experience. Why? Why is that? Right. Why aren't more women able to get into those roles? Like I, you had the fire when you were in seventh grade. Like that was kind of like built into you, which I think like just listening to your story and then listening to, you know, the path that you're going down and, um, 10, 10 years, I mean, you're getting experience because you knew you wanted to do something more and you wanted to make an impact. So it's like, it's interesting to hear that there's not more women out there. Like, I wonder what the, what the wall or what the holdup is for that. I also think another huge question is why the hell didn't I realize it? Yeah. I was there for so long yeah. and I didn't even believe the HR group telling me that. I was like, whatever, you're just trying to get me to do another volunteer assignment. Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. I have no time. Yeah. And they're like, okay, here's the list of the, you know, 13 um, vice presidents and... They're in HR and marketing and legal and um, finance. Yeah. But you're the only one. And this is such an engineering-oriented company mm-hmm. that we need you to do it. Oh, my goodness. Which I understood. Of course. But I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm on the UT Austin's uh, board of ad- advisors mm-hmm. for the engineering school and um, UC Berkeley's mechanical engineering uh, advisory board. And they've done a very good job of attracting and retaining mm-hmm. women into the departments, meaning, you know... 20 25 percent yeah which so is the, which is good that is great yeah but it's not obviously parody and i i think it's gotten younger and younger why women are turning away from it there was a, there's a lot of work that was done you know in high schools to try to get women to apply mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. obviously lots of programs in 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 the university to try to retain women but now it's really getting down into like elementary school oh, in yeah. terms of when when girls are saying, "Oh, it's not cool to be good at math." Or yeah, well, like know. STEM programs are starting to be more re- be more relevant in, in elementary schools, and mm-hmm. I mean, and and learning how to code and right. those types of things. I mean, I've had opportunities for even my kiddos who are seven, eight years old at the time, where the, those are definitely being sprinkled in. So going back to your time in Silicon Valley, like I, I know we hear so much, especially right now with like the Me Too movement and women empowerment and women equality, especially in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what was the vibe and the experience out there at that time when you were one of the only women, you know, 
working in that field? I was so blind to it. Yeah. I I wasn't really I have to think about it always in retrospect of trying right. to remember because at the time I was I had been a mechanical engineer. Yeah. And so I had the bathroom to myself as I tell people, you know, and then in semiconductors, I'd worked at Intel and applied materials when I was in undergrad or in between in graduate school. Yeah. And uh, which are big semiconductor, you know, companies and then and, and then when I was at McKinsey, I was doing all semiconductor-related work. So again, the teams were all guys. Mm-hmm. So I was just so used to being... And then when I went to the VC firm, of course, I was the only woman mm-hmm. investor. And I was so used to it. I didn't even think about it. Like, I mean, if we... There had to have been like some frustrations, though, at some point where you're like man, this is pissing me off. This mm-hmm. isn't okay. Or, you know, I, I mean, I've shared it. We, you guys, we were talking before this podcast just a little bit, and I was telling her some of my own personal experience and stories of, ha- of being a woman in the tech industry and doing sales with technology, um, software products. And some of the experiences I had personally was, okay, I've got to draw this line between being overly masculine and coming in too overconfident on something and being like this powerful force, because I think that can be intimidating and, and also kind of invites, you know, a guy to, or, or anyone, oh, I need to up my, my power here. And then there's that fine line of the of the feminine where you're like, okay, I want to be understanding and I want to hear you and I want to be more compassionate. And so it's like, did you ever feel at some point when you're in that space, like, okay, what role am I going to have to play here? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how is this making me feel? Or um, I'm just like curious to hear that side of it, if well, there is, or if, how you felt about it, if there was... I think because I was working with such senior people when I was really young. I mean, McKinsey, I was working with the ex- you know executive teams, mm-hmm. the C-suites of big companies, boards of big, you know, and and then I was working for the CEO directly oh, wow. for most of my time in in uh, corporate America or whatever. So they were older gentlemen always, and the C- and I was be the only woman at the you know, C-suite table. Yeah. And so I just had such a huge division Mm -hmm. in my mind between my social life and my work life Mm -hmm. that I never even talked to them about my personal life. Yeah. And it was fine because they didn't care. I mean, (laughs) I didn't care about theirs in a way. I just, I was so interested in solving the problem Mm -hmm. and there was so much to talk about that had nothing to do with our personal and we never hung out because... Whatever, we're just always working together. And we traveled tons to get, you know, but we still were just always talking about work, work, work. Yeah. And so they, in fact, two CEOs that I worked for um, had no idea that I had children. I found out at one point. Shut up. This is later where the, oh <laughs> I realized gosh. that's, and then it was like, it was so interesting to think, oh my gosh, how can they not know that? Like, that's such a big part of my life. How could I have kept that from them? Or how could they just not have picked up something, you know, or talked to somebody or seen a picture on my desk or something? Um, And wow, I must have subconsciously known not to mention it Mm. ever because they wouldn't have asked me to do certain stretch assignments. And there's a reason why I've always divided my social and personal because... 
I, I realized if they saw that aspect of me, they would, they would just assume, mm-hmm. oh, she can't do it. Because once when, when one of the guys found out, his wife has said in front, you know, it's some work party event. So do you and your husband have any, you know, kids? I was like, yeah, we've got two. And his jaw just drops. And I see him in my peripheral. Yeah. And finally I turned to him. I'm like, so I guess you didn't know we had kids. The cat's out of the bag now. And guess what he said? What do you do with them all day? Oh, my god! It's like, well, that's why I never told you, I yes, guess. I know. <laughs> because there's like school and nannies yes. and like yes. services. Yes. <laughs> it takes a tribe. It, does it takes take a, a community tribe. to be able to support the working mom who has aspiration and goals, but also wants the balanced life of being a mother. But I mean, I can, I bet you so many women can relate to those who work in the workforce and not being like overly talking about their kids. And cause there's that fear like, okay, what if I have to leave early to go to a game and that's going to look like I'm not motivated enough and I'm not going to get that next project because they're thinking I'm going to half-ass it because I'm a mom or right. like, I feel like that's the stigma that needs to be broken that we need to agreed. Like how do we start to educate and influence that community? I don't that know. Freaking moms are badass. <clears throat> And can they do a lot of shit together. Prioritize better Come than on. anyone. They sure can. <laughs> Let me just tell you what my day looks like, mister. Talk about not wasting time in a meeting. You're like, yeah. I have no time for this. We have yes. got to get down to it. And yes. what are we doing? Yes. Well, so what was like the light switch that went off for you that you're like, you know what? We need more women VCs and I have this great idea or I'm going to manifest this. Like what attracted you to to where you are right now? Well, I knew I had wanted to get back into venture capital and I was perusing the Austin, Texas ecosystem. Finally, I I feel like one light switch that happened was when my youngest could watch a full feature film and I'd have 90 minutes of uninterrupted time. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can like solve, you know, all the world's problems again. Now 90 minutes of uninterrupted time. And if you have a cup of coffee, you can solve in 30 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. You can solve three problems. (laughs) (laughs) Turn a full feature film. So anyway, um, I started thinking again about what I wanted to do and became very unsatisfied with where I was. And so kind of my body for literally was physically forcing me through getting sick and like rejecting my job that I needed to move. And then I was doing a lot of internal reflection of like, well, what is that? Because none of the firms that I'm seeing are resonating with me at all. And I don't see anything I want to do. I remember trying to find people to talk to. I was like, who's doing this? And then I realized, I asked a McKinsey friend, actually, like, okay, who do you know that's doing this? And she's like, um, you. It's like, oh, <laughs> you're right. Like, I'm the one who's trying to, and I'm trying to find this person that's doing this, you know, solving this problem. There's nobody solving this problem. Yeah. Like, I'm the person that's supposed to solve this problem. So... It took a while of a lot of internal work. There was this book that I read that I feel like was really pivotal called Centered Leadership. It was uh, written by a McKinsey director um, who was really doing just a really nice mix of kind of psychology and Mm. business coaching of trying to get really deep into what sparked you when you were young and what kind of books do you read? Oh, I want to read this book. It's very good. It's very hard. It's like 
you know, think a lot and journal about this or ask somebody else to answer this question about you or that kind of, or write this and then have somebody review it that you, Mm -hmm. so it's not easy, but it was very interesting uh, in terms of a different perspective of what is it that I want to do. And I feel like that was so important because there were no role models of doing what I wanted to do. There wasn't even anyone to exactly talk to that. And I feel like there was a lot of groundwork that I laid doing those exercises and stuff. And then one night I woke up literally like 2 a.m. or something coughing. I was sick again, <laughs> and um, which I'm never sick, you know, so it was like, your, that's I, your was, throat chakra, It my was friend. my toxic your, like environment that yeah, was saying. You needed to speak move, your truth. Yeah, something. you needed to create a change. And I realized I had never met another woman in venture capital in wow. all my days in this, you know, the valley and since trying to figure out the right, you know, opportunity maybe in, in Austin. And, and so I realized, well, I think this is it. It like all came together and sort of at that point of like, whoa. Goosebumps, sister. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Because I had not thought about the women part and the venture capital part before. So that's sort of when it happened. And then when I went back and read some of the things I had written down oh, because no of Center Leadership, uh-huh. it was just pl- like plainly written out. I'm going to start. I mean, it was crazy. I'm like, how come I didn't realize I wrote that down? Mm-hmm. You weren't so, ready for it. I wasn't ready for yeah. it. You have to, I always tell clients, I'm like, you guys, when you create stillness in your life, that is when you find clarity. When you're still and you're not so focused on doing 20 billion things, like you, sometimes you can't even hear or see the opportunities or the next step because you're so focused on doing the thing you're not supposed to be doing. Yep. And that's when I think women are really great at is we have this inner intuition and learning to give that more of a voice and listening to that, mm-hmm. um, I think can help us create a lot more opportunities and less cry session drinking wine at night with our friends figuring out why my <laughs> life is the way it is. <laughs> um, okay, so I've met your awesome partner, Carrie. Like when I met these ladies, we had we, a friend of mine and I, we had, we were trying to get an app company up and going and we met Sarah and Carrie through some sort of like, I don't know, it was like a women's conference or something. I can't yeah. remember. I think it was a women at Austin South by Southwest. Yeah. Maybe, it was something that was like cables and we were meeting. Anyways, like we were both. Dating, yeah. It was like speed dating. Yes. Like speed dating. And then. Anyways, we met you two, and my friend and I were like, oh my gosh, these girls are really cool. I kind of want to be friends with them. And then we went to y'all's party, and I'm like, oh my God. We just sat on the couch and jabbed it up the whole time. It was so awesome. But um, but I think women coming together, uh, that and you and I kind of chit-chatted about this beforehand, how powerful it is to unite and support one another. And when you start to have an open mind like that, you magnetize the right women that you're supposed to be surrounded by. So I'm just like, I always tell people, I'm like, whoever you end up going to a partnership with, you're married to them. It's like a marriage. It is. And so like, I would love to hear how you and Carrie came together and like y'all's passion. Like I'm to be a mom and a wife and all these other things that we have to do, you have to be so passionate and fiery about your career in order to like want to continue to maintain those balances between all of them. So I'm just curious, like mm-hmm. how you and Carrie came together. Cause she's a hoot too. Well, the, the way we found each other is sort of sad and funny, but basically when I told people, <laughs> okay, I'm going to start this fund and this is the focus. 
they said, oh, the, and then I, and, you know, and I realized I've never met another woman in venture capital. Mm-hmm. Two different people in town that were in the VC industry was like, oh, there is another woman in venture capital in Austin. She just moved back. Shut up. So two people introed us and we had lunch. And um, the rest was literally history because we, we had so much to talk about. And she was the CEO of an accelerator at the time called Dream It. It was really based in Philly, but she had brought a cohort back to Austin because she wanted to move back to Austin. I love it. And so she had started, the, it was a top tier, the top 10 US accelerator, maybe the, the third one that even started, they think, but now there's a zillion. They had the first focused it's Athena, Dream at Athena um, program for women entrepreneurs. So she was actually quite aware of the issues and the opportunities, had had several of her CEOs that were women get told by VCs that they were pitching to, oh, sorry, we don't invest in women. Mm-hmm. And this is in like You guys, this is a serious problem. I don't think people even realize this. Like statistically, like when you, in the tech industry, 25% are women. So 75% of the men are what kind of are running the vibe of this industry. And out of those people, out of that 25%, only 2.2% of women even get funded by VCs. Mm -hmm. This is a serious problem. It's crazy. I just like, oh, it makes my heartbeat come into my throat because like, so anyways, yes. So we met and we both were just... It was a very long lunch, and neither of us are long lunch people or, you know, it's noon, got to go, one, got to go. You know, it's like our schedules are crazy. And so we just kept talking, kept talking because anyway, she came on. So I I hadn't even left, actually, um, my company yet. So uh, that next year, she she just raised a $20 million fund herself to go alongside Dream It. And so she was just sort of counseling me or Mm -hmm. advising me and by the time I was ready to go start fundraising there was just kind of a serendipitous moment where she came over to my house and it was had not you know things weren't going great at work things weren't going great personally with her I was like guess what I think this is serendipity that you're supposed to join me she's like oh no I'm not sure I'm not I don't know like just try it. Come on, have one more <laughs> so glass of wine. Like, yeah, she's just like, okay, I can't not do this because this. We both just saw from different perspectives too. She had come at it already from the accelerator, early stage startup expect- yep. perspective, and I had come from more the traditional Silicon Valley mm-hmm. VC, and then you know corporate M and A right there. Yeah, and we both saw like this is literally the biggest opportunity we've ever seen, and nobody's doing it. No. So we have to, yes. like there were six funds at the time that had a proactive gender diversity investing strategy, but okay. they were in the, in the coast. There was nothing in Texas, nothing in pretty much the entire central United States. So that is freaking awesome. We had to. Yes, you absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. How old is, is True Ventures now? Um, we started fundraising at the end of 2015. Had our first close in the middle of 2016, meaning we could actually start investing. Mm -hmm. And then our final close on our first fund was at the very beginning, January 2018. That's awesome. So, How many women VCs are to date do we know of that are in just the U.S. in general, just out of curiosity? Well, I just went in November to Oakland, California for the All Rays event, which is the, and it was the largest gathering of women in venture capital ever on the planet Earth. And it was 599 women. 
That's it? Yes. And the majority, vast majority, had been in VC for less than three years. So they're mainly analysts and associates at big, you know, traditional Silicon Valley VC firms where they're not partner level tracks of, you know, people who are actually going to make the investment decisions or Mm -hmm. sit on the boards. Wow. If you actually look at those women who are really driving the... The, which decision, you know, the investment decisions, it's a much smaller number. What do you think is some of the hesitation for, you know, men VCs to invest into women businesses and companies? Like what is like the number one kickback for that, that you've heard just through your experience and observing and now getting your feet wet, actually, you know, being in venture capitalists and investing into women? So the best answer I've seen for this is research from the Columbia Business School that was published about two years ago in the Harvard Business Review that showed that both men and women investors had the same bias towards women entrepreneurs. So they recorded all these questions that were asked at this infamous tech crunch disrupt pitch competition. And the men and the women asked the women entrepreneurs more prevention-oriented questions and the male entrepreneurs promotion-oriented questions. And so while the men were getting questions like, how much bigger can it be? What if we give you $5 million more, blah, blah. The women were getting the death by a thousand cuts of, well, you know, do you have this skill on the team? Or, um, you know, how are you going to mitigate for this risk? Or just... You know, all these little, and it's just the way that culture sees women versus men in business. And so when when the women kept getting these prevention-oriented questions, then people are looking at the risks and the downside, and they don't end up getting the investment where where people are asking the other male-led businesses all these promotion-oriented questions, and so they're like, wow, this could be huge. And it that I think is what is underlying all this is, culture. is this culture. Yeah. So I think it even goes back to, I know I keep resorting back to our conversation. I wish I could have recorded it when we had it, but it's, I mean, women, if we are not supporting and uplifting one another or encouraging each other, I mean, I had an experience myself and the side note story where I was pitching to an investor with a friend of mine and we were coming up with an app and he, his response back was like, well, you're washed up and you're 50 something years old and don't have experience in the industry. And then you're a stay at home mom, yoga mom. And I'm, I don't know who's going to give you money for that. So if women could release some of the judgment and maybe even some of, I keep saying that like the stigma of, you know, there's that risk or because you're a mom and you've got kids, you're not going to be able to work as hard and you're not going to put in as many hours. And like, I think that we have to have like a cultural, um, understanding and almost like a, a teaching moment to what people, each individual is so different mm-hmm. and a man might not be able to handle a big ass project, right? Even though he's a dude, maybe he can't, maybe he's not the right person to be on it. And maybe that stay at home mom at one point who came back to the workforce and is killing it. Cause she's got the drive and the passion and the fire for it does have the potential to do it. Totally. Or yeah. So I think there's, there's a teaching moment. So how do we break that? Like, how do we, you know, if, 
and we've, I mean, I've had experience with, with a, a woman, a woman VC in Chicago. And it was the same thing. She was just like, mm, I don't know, you know, so it's interesting that, you know, I know there's that me too movement and we're really in that cycle right now that it's not necessarily just the dudes in this situation, that it is more of a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So how do we break this stigma? How do we break this? Well, my approach yeah. is to just make a shit ton of money yeah. and show people that women are actually better investments. Yeah. And so we're investing in companies that are run by women. Mm-hmm. And and when, and when we say women-led, at least one woman is yeah. on that founding or early stage executive team. So it doesn't have to be all women or necessarily a woman CEO, yeah. although the vast majority of our companies have a Good super job. badass woman yeah. CEO. <laughs> yeah. Good. So, because um, they're out there. Um, so we're just with a, we, we mandate that there is, it's a woman led team. And so we don't have that bias. We're not even looking at companies that don't have a woman on the team and they're trying to pitch us all the time. Well, we're going to bring one on. We're like, Mm -hmm. nope, we don't want it. You know, sorry. It has to bring it to us when you have a woman on board, because usually when you bring somebody on board later, it's not quite the same. Mm-mm. So, or we would need to see what the dynamic is when they do. So anyway, we do just take that bias right off the table and we're only investing in companies that are women led. Do you feel like that you've inspired other women VCs to do the same? I do because okay. there's been a lot more activity since, and I don't know if we were just kind of a little bit ahead of our time, mm-hmm. um, or I think it's culturally, I mean, we've just become so much more aware. Like that study came out, there's more and more data coming out that shows that when there's a woman on the team, they do better financially, um, lots of progress to be made, but obviously we've seen sexual harassment with, you know, in the VC industry in particular mm-hmm. and how bad that is. And now some VCs, are even being coached to not even meet with women entrepreneurs because it's a risk to their reputation know, because it's going to be misinterpreted. Like, how do we deal with that? Like, that's the scary part, too. And, I mean, there's that fine line of, you know, and, and women are ticked about that, too. Mm-hmm. They're like, listen, I can handle myself, and I feel very confident in who I am and what I stand for and what I'll allow and not allow in my life, and I don't want because I'm a woman to prohibit me from being able to have a conversation with you. Right. Like that's frustrating too. Legitimate. Yeah. I know. I think just, I mean, I don't know, creating more role models. That's what we're trying to do is show more women. Look at these. And we're trying to highlight our portfolio companies and show people, look at this fantastic team and look at this fantastic company and look at how much money they made. And just highlighting that saying, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Of showing more people these, you know, fantastic, successful women that have done it. That's great. Well, we that's what we need. I mean, we need to be able to kind of educate and get people excited about it and see that there's no risk, that there is, that they have every opportunity that any other person has the opportunity to be able to deliver a really successful product. And regardless if you're a man or woman, if you don't have the drive, like look at, you had the drive in seventh grade and that's brought you to where you are right now. So I just think every individual is so different. And I mean, there's dudes out there that don't have that drive and that's just, that's just their personality. The other great thing about women entrepreneurs is that they usually have more insight into problems that I think are more critical to Mm -hmm. human environmental and human or environmental human health, because they are on the front lines of making all those consumer purchase decisions, whether they want to be or not, you know, it's 85% of consumer purchases driven by women and they're 
buying houses, they're doing home remodels, they're really making all these you know major decisions, all all the things that are coming into the home from furniture, fashion, care products, food, and all the supply chain yeah. and material science and everything behind all those industries. Yeah. And and then with healthcare, they're making decisions for themselves, their children, their spouses often, their aging parents, their aging parents in law mm-hmm. most of the time. So they are moving markets every day. I love that. And they're just not aware a lot of times yeah. of how much power they have in but making all these decisions. But just saying that right there is planting the seed that they're that they are powerful. They are, and they're seeing what's available on the market, what's available in the healthcare system, mm-hmm. and what isn't, and what problems are most critical to solve. And so when they do start companies, they've already done all that market you know, consumer research, they're probably, they're they're solving a real need that they see that usually is affecting their loved ones or something, you know, so they've got a lot more passion. They've got a lot more, um, customer market fit. Mm -hmm. Uh, they bootstrapped it already because they've been, you know, at it even subconsciously (laughs) half the time. Yeah. So it's not just some financial triage opportunity for some, I don't want to throw enterprise SaaS under the bus, but I feel like doing that right now (laughs) for some enterprise SaaS software company. (laughs) It's just not exciting. It's not solving the world's problems. It's not, it's some customer pain point, but it's not a real yeah, true human pain. Mm-hmm. So I think women are in a really advantaged position to solve these really critical problems. Girl, I'm like so grateful that you and Carrie are doing the work that you're doing and that you had the aspirations and the fire behind and the passion of what you wanted to do here because they were seeing it and you're, you're like, I mean, you're creating a huge wave in the industry right now. It's, it's so, so fun when we listen to all these pitches all you know, oh, week yeah. long of all these great women doing great stuff. So oh it's really easy so to stay inspired. Oh, I bet it is. <laughs> like how many pitches a week do you, or a month do you guys usually? We just ran our numbers for last quarter and we looked at 10 deals a week. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Like, has there ever been a deal that kind of slipped through the the cracks a little bit and have come back around and you're like, oh. Yes. Yes. And we're seeing more of that because now that we've been at it for a while, a lot of times we see something that's too early. So we stay in contact. In fact, it's really helpful when we see stuff that's too early because then we can see all the progress that was made or. Oh my gosh. I love it. I would love to just be a bug on your shoulder and watch all of that. Um, Okay, guys, we're going to take a little shift here. Okay. So with my guest on these podcast episodes, I like to play a little game called 20 questions just so we can like get to know you a little bit more. I want to see a little tequila side, (laughs) like anything we get um, when we talk about like our tips and tricks and how we can inspire one another. I consider that green juice stuff. So I want like, I want to rip those layers off (laughs) and ask you some really fun questions here, Sarah. So um, they're just super quick and simple. Don't, Don't give it too much thought, just whatever comes to mind first. So um, we're just going to start easy. What's your favorite color? Oh, slate blue. Ooh, slate blue. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? Coffee. Me Straight too. up. Straight up black coffee. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I like a little nut pot in my coffee. Mm. I like a little creamy. I like oat milk sometimes. Make Ooh. it like a latte or uh, Americano with espresso. Ooh. Yeah. That's a good one. That's when, you solve the, that's when you solve the world in 30 minutes. <laughs> you got 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite place you've traveled to? Oh, India, I think, because wow. I spent almost, two, well, two and a half months there 
between undergraduate and graduate school. No way. And it was just life changing because what part? Um, everywhere we flew into Bangalore, I guess, and then went around the south for a month, and then up through Rajasthan for a couple weeks, and then around the north for another oh my month. Gosh. And it was just such an adventure. We spent like a day and a half, two days on average, you know, oh, wow. or maybe a day and a half more on average, probably. Is it just so, so beautiful? That's on my bucket list. It 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 was beautiful and not beautiful I at know. the same time. Yeah, but it really made me just. Oh, like I'd never gone out of the country until then. I had traveled around the country. You went but that to was, India. That was your, that, it. Oh was an gosh. adventure. It wasn't a yeah. It was yeah. an it was a life oh you know life opening kind of experience, and I realized too that 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 culture was very satisfied. It wasn't like oh those people in poverty. Or, mm-hmm. They were they were happy. happy. Yeah, and so that really. And also my to-do list, I'm just like always in my mind, yeah. you know, to, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? Yeah, and sense. it took me about a month and a half to run mm-hmm. out of my to-do list and literally be present. And I it had that. The, like the chatter finally stop in my brain. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was lots of great things happened during that trip. Oh my gosh. I love it. So ladies, if you're burning your candle from both ends, apparently you need to go to India. <laughs> for a long time. To long, for a long time. <laughs> At least two months. Who do you look up to the most and what qualities do you love about that person? Hmm. Well, this is a weird answer, but what comes to mind is my wise self because I've struggled so much with finding that role model or that mentor that really I relate to. Mm-hmm. And so what I had to do, you know, when I was trying to figure out what my next move was, is get quiet mm-hmm. often and for long times to ask my, you know, wise self. And uh, so she's really cool. <laughs> Does she have a name? <laughs> we call, we had a guest on last time. We were talking about our alter ego. Uh, and their names Rhonda and Miranda. I was like, they're always ended with a duh. Miranda. Um, what's the last book you read? Oh, so good. I'm almost done, so I'm going to count it. Okay. It's called The Goddess Versus the Alphabet. And it's blowing my mind because oh. it's about how basically all these cultures in the last 2,000 plus years have become so patriarchal because of literally the alphabet and how we had verbal communication and then like, um, what's it called? Um, like Egyptian, Mm -hmm. uh, it's more like pictures, uh, something graph. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Blanking on the (laughs) word. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So images (laughs) and we didn't use a, you know, couple dozen letters that was so abstract to represent words that represented ideas. And so this very abstract letter alphabet is a completely left brain activity. And so as soon as the alphabet would come into cultures or religions, they became really violent, really patriarchal, because over time, subconsciously, everyone's right brain became severely atrophied and their left brain was the muscle. And even writing is with your right arm usually, which is a left brain, you know, mm-hmm. which you know because I've had yeah. massive yeah, tele... I know, right? yeah, yeah, so I had to calm down. serious tele- yeah. tennis elbow this fall. Yeah, and so they started learning about all this stuff and literally 
it, it's so interesting. It's blowing my mind. That is so freaking cool. What's the name of that book again? The Goddess versus the Alphabet. Okay. We're going to have to This guy's it. brilliant. Oh, I, he just goes I'm like, the... proof point, proof point, proof point. It's just like oh, I insane. Love it. Oh, you've got two books now that you've talked about on this podcast I'm going to have to get. Um, are you an ocean or mountain girl? Mountain. mountain. I love the ocean, but I love listening to the ocean, but mm-hmm. I love being in the mountains more Me than too. anything. I love the mountains. Mountains. I'm like earth, which is interesting because your next question is your zodiac sign. Which is cancer, cancer, but I don't know what that means. Cancer is water. Oh, it is? It's a water sign. Well, I do love the hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> Natural hot springs? <laughs> I just don't like being cold. <laughs> yeah, I don't like being cold either. That's why I live in Texas. When you, when was, what moment did you, have, have you felt the most challenged? Like, can you think of that moment and what that was? I do think it was when I was at the end of my last career trying to figure out what I wanted to do yeah. because I felt this urgency where I was, you know, I was getting sick and like my body was like, nope, nope. I kept on doing these pros and cons of like staying versus going mm-hmm. and I do the pros of like, I'm staying, shoot. Like I, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to yes. like figure out some way to convince my brain yeah. to go and it wasn't happening. Um, because it wasn't my brain. It was like, it didn't rationally make sense because I was making good money. It was close to home. It was easy. I was the breadwinner. I had the insurance, mm-hmm. I, you know, had two little kids, all this stuff. So it really was very emotional and challenging to figure out this whole new thing. Like yeah. what did I had to create something? Um, so I think that was the hardest. So it was a good thing. You had those conversations where you're like, there's nobody else doing it. It's mm-hmm. you. That person needs. That's I a, know. I need to tell her. Yeah, I never to tell told her. Thank her. you. Thank you. Yeah, that's and that's another thing too. I've talked about. Um, I had an episode called "Brainstorming Babes," and we talked about how crucial and important it is to surround yourself by other women that are are in the same playing field that you are when it comes to entrepreneur. And I mean, you've got to have your tribe, and like I always bounce ideas and conversations off with those brainstorming babe friends that I have. And if it wasn't for them, there was no way I would have made some of the decisions that I made because we just get so caught up in our head. So thanks friends. Um, okay. What's your, what's a guilty pleasure food for you? Oh, I love dark chocolate and then I love whiskey and then (laughs) I love bean fields. I don't know if that's guilty though. Ooh. Have you tried these yet? No. They're like bonitos, but they've got oh like gosh. nacho cheese flavor oh on it or something like that. Yeah. And I can do like a half a bag at a time, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. Those, that sounds so good right now. That's, my that's your guilty pleasure. Guilty that pleasure. Friggin' whiskey. Um, so my next question is, are you a wine or beer chick? But maybe I should say if you're a wine or whiskey chick. I'm a wine chick, which is sad because I own a brewery. Yes. But um, I'm a gluten-free lady yeah. now, so Good I'm, for you. I'm a wine person a wine-o. and cocktails. What kind of wine are you, red wine, white wine? Both. Both, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just all. recently got into some white wines lately after coming back from California. Mm-hmm. They're not the same out here, though. No. Um, okay, so how did, you, how did your husband propose to you? Well, we had been dating for a long time, like almost 10 years or more. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And um, and when we told our friends finally that we were getting married, they're like, oh my God, that's right. You're not married. Yay. We get to go to a party. <laughs> so we were pretty much married anyway. Yeah. 
But um, we designed the wedding ring, or oh I kind God, of designed it, but it. we did it together. You know, and we went and had it all made. Yeah. And it took a while because we did, you know, the wax casting and oh the tweaks God. and stuff. I love that. And then I gave it to him. And it was almost a year had gone by. And I was like, you know what? If you don't propose by the end of the year, yeah. I'm going to propose to you because this is really lame now. Yeah. What was he trying to do? Like plan some big proposal surprise? So I was, was, this was when we were working in California, but I still had gone home to visit my family and he had gone home to visit his family Uh over the Christmas holiday. And then he was flying in, I thought the next day maybe to visit me at my mom's house in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. So he flew in the night of Christmas or something. And then um, my sister went to pick him up at the airport, but she told me she was going to a friend's house or whatever. So I was literally in my pajamas. Oh, I love that though. No, make nothing, you know, like drinking wine. And my sister's like, Sarah, there's something out in the garage for you or something. And so I went out in the garage thinking there's like extra present, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then he was there. So he proposed in my mom's garage. Oh my gosh. I love that though. My husband. But I was actually surprised. So that was cool. See, that's awesome. I was not surprised. I knew mine was coming. And that's (laughs) typical the case for a lot of women. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's so sweet. It was fun. Okay, friend, what's your biggest fear? Hmm. It doesn't have to be deep. It could be yeah. something like a spider or... <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not my biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the death of my children. Yeah. And I try not to think about it because yeah. it's horrendous and there's yeah. nothing useful from worrying about that. Um, but that's pretty bad. Yeah. That's a big fear, I think, for a lot of us mamas. Okay, so um, shifting gears from that one. Thank you. Lunch with Bill Murray or Alec Baldwin. Who would you choose? Oh, Bill Murray. I, I love him. Just looking so at him funny. makes me laugh. Gosh, did you see the Super Bowl commercial with him and the, no. the groundhog? Oh, shoot. No, oh, I have to go watch yeah, it. Yeah, you're going to have to go watch it. It's pretty hilarious. I love him. Um, if you had to live in another time period, what would you choose? Hmm, that's mm. a good one. I know. Well, I'd have to live there. Could I come back? Or sure. have to go? Okay, because I would love to go back to like the um, Jesus and Mary Magdalene oh, time. Yeah. Because uh-huh. of all this stuff I'm reading about Mary Magdalene and yeah. like she, and I just love to see like what was the situation here? Uh huh. Because it's obviously been so twisted oh, and yeah, like for sure. I just want to see. Did they have like little kids running around? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that were that's theirs or not? And that's you know, I just I'd love to just. Go check out like the last, I don't know, that whole like the decade whole, before yeah. he died and after he died of what Ooh, happened. I would love to do that I too. know. I was like going like, well, I like Game of Thrones. Maybe I would go back to medieval times. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no. That was horrible. Where everyone didn't take showers and smelled really bad. Right. I'm so weird about smells. Okay. Um, awkward thing you did on a date. Once I went to like that rest, that, what's that called? I can't remember what it's called. My boyfriend in high school took me to this show that I liked that was so dumb. It was like with a huge, um, I don't even know what it's called. I don't know what you're doing. It was like. <laughs> a baseball bat? It was um, like gladiators. Oh, or yeah. Or something. Yeah, like a gladiator. Okay. Were, so 
<laughs> and I was so embarrassed that I liked I was like, oh, I do kind of like this, yeah. even though it's so dumb. Oh, my God. I think that was pretty bad. Oh, that's funny. I can't, I can't remember what was, was he like, this is interesting. <laughs> he just thought I would like it. And I did. <laughs> How long did you guys stay dating after that? Um, no, we were all our senior year. Ooh. And then we went our separate ways when I went off to UT and he stayed in Arizona. Yeah. But we were still kind of, but not really. Mm-mm. He's like, yeah, the gladiator chick's a little too powerful for <laughs> He's me. a little weird. Um, pet peeve. Biggest pet peeve. The ridiculous, unnecessary use of plastic bags and bottles. Oh my gosh, I know. It's, it's really drives me mad. I have to like check on my judgment when yeah. I'm on oh, a, You're like, just like the bag lady that collects all the plastic bags. Right. Yeah. I'm going to reuse all of, oh, all of these. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> you're that person. That's a good one. Dry shampoo or do you shower daily? Um, I neither. neither. <laughs> <laughs> I shower every two to three days. Good. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Dry shampoo will change your life. Okay. Literally. I have it. Yeah. I use that sucker like every single day. Uh-huh. I don't, sh- I wash my hair. I maybe wash my hair like once a week. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And if I get a little oily, I just put that baby powder stuff on. Is it good it for you? Is yes. it bad? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. If you, we need your natural oil so your head stays like, like, you know, you're not dry because it's dry. Your hair breaks off more mm-hmm. and yeah. All right. Dry shampoo, sister. All right. I'll get it out. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, what do you do for stress relief? Um, well, I do meditate, meditate every morning. Mm-hmm. And then, and do like a little stretching, like routine, kind of like a little yoga thing. Love it. And then um, cardio. I do spinning classes a couple times a week just because nothing has been able. Just Gold's Gym. Gold's Gym. Perfect. Got a a few favorite classes and instructors. And I just haven't been able to replace it. You know, know. I'll read studies. I'm like, okay, I just should do, you know, burst exercise, Tabata Mm -hmm. kind of style. But I'm like, sorry, I need like 45 minutes of yes. spinning a couple well, times a week. everyone's bodies are so different, so you have to do what's best for you. And if you feel freaking good afterwards, yeah. then that's your thing. I need it. Yes. It's not even like a, an option. Oh my gosh. I feel and, you. I just started doing more spin this last couple months. I'm like addicted now. I go like three times a week. I even, yeah. bought, my, I even bought spin shoes. Like I'm in. Yeah. You Now you're... I'm in. No turning back. Spin and yoga. And of course, day. yoga. Yes. Yes. Yes, I love when you come into yoga. I love your class. You're Whenever good... I can go, I oh go. Oh my gosh. And you're an amazing little yogi, I tell you well, what. Well, thank you. What's your mantra? Hmm. Well, I don't really have... One. I mean, when I'm... After I meditate, I there's one that I picked up. What's it called? The essence of who I am flows effortlessly into everything I create. I love that. But I'm adding another one. Okay, good. Which is, it's not really a mantra. It's, it's... Like an intention. It's intention Mm -hmm. because I'm so overwhelmed with incoming emails and communication and requests. Yes. That, and I've realized like literally all this anxiety I have sometimes Mm -hmm. and stress is Mm -hmm. literally because my inbox is so full and I haven't gotten back to people. Yeah. It's not like the world is about to crash. It's just that I haven't. Frick. Yes. What what can you do to to help shift that? So what I'm doing is asking that if there's something that I need to hear or respond to, that it's brought to my attention. 
There you go. So then I can like release the freaking guilt and anxiety. Yeah. And it's helping. I know. <laughs> well, Cancer, Zodiac, they're the mother nurturer. I mean, they are mm-hmm. like, they're wanting to take care of. And, you know, so that need of wanting to take care of every email, that's just like an intuition oh, of you. Like you should sickness. just delegate it. You should have that's someone that comes says. through. Hire like some college intern and their job is to come through your emails and read mm-hmm. them all. Delegate. Then you have to worry about it. Then you don't have to look for the sign either. They can look for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't even know how someone would do that. Even when I was had like a really good, highly paid executive assistant, mm-hmm. I didn't even have them do my email because yeah. it was just too, thing. too much interpretation. Yeah. I don't know. But that's what my husband says too. He's like, you need somebody to read your email because well, this is driving you crazy. Sometimes it's a sign. So now I'm asking Sarah Swati, the goddess of discernment, to bring it, bring up, it up for up. me. Yes. So I'm going to use her first. You see would, how good she is. You would me. literally yeah. have a panic attack if you were to see <laughs> your how inbox? many emails. Let me just show you this here. Would that kill you? Oh, yeah. 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 That hurts my heart. Yeah. In my I stomach, just... in my intestines. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. I'm like, yeah, I'll get to the 11,000, 12,000 emails. Well, I realized, box. and I had somebody coach me on this because this is a chronic problem I've had. <laughs> um, when I was at McKinsey, I think, it, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, it's like you have 24 hours to respond to all client emails. And if you don't, you're a failure. You know, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Because you are highly paid for the, you know, so you need to get back to them. Now, that's not the case. And uh, there was a moment when I had come back from my second maternity leave where it happened, you know, at AMD, where I was like, I can't get through it. I cannot process it. There are not enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And my like official mentor at the time was saying, um, if it's that it's their responsibility to get in front of you. If you're on CC, you're on BCC. Just don't it, don't even read it. Like mm-hmm. you don't. It's not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. If they need to get to you, they need to email you multiple times. They need mm-hmm. to call you. They need mm-hmm. to you know message you. If they need to get to you, they will get to you. Yeah. It's not your responsibility to no. find these things. Yes. And so now my third mantra is. Okay. Just to triage the shit out of my work. Yes. I, I literally had like a session on Friday with a, a coach, you know, that, where I was sharing my problem. And she said, you're, you, I, she's like, well, think about when you spent the month in the hospital with your son, which happened. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. And how, how much time did you spend in your work? It was probably 20% max yep. that you paid attention to. Yep. And then what happened to the rest? Like it was fine, right? It didn't need to be done then or it went away. So just do that always. Yeah. The world will go on. Yeah. Like you're one single person. We put so much pressure on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we a lot of us do that and maybe it's a different catalyst for each one. It might not be email, it might be like you know, like the for me it was like yoga students. I'm like, if I don't teach this class. Right. What will what happen what to the, them? What will happen to them? They need me. And I go, F that shit. I'm not doing that anymore. Right. right. They can come to me or they will figure out a way of how to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And the world still goes on. Yeah. It's the craziest thing. I feel like we've, we try to, as a firm, True Adventures, get back to all these women who 
reach out to us because we know that sometimes they don't have VCs in their network or they have been turned down yeah. or they haven't gotten But honey, they got to have the drive you have. I know. They and get, and I'm like, keep it's, coming. I can't. I literally can't get back to everybody. No. And so. Yeah. And that's okay. It's just how it is. Yeah. And that's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, the people, the fact that these women know where to go, but it's got to be, they have to have a little bit more oomph behind the one email. Right. You know, I, exactly. I like that your coach was like, they can do this, they can do this. Mm-hmm. This is their way to be creative, to make it, you know, important and noticeable enough to get someone's attention for right. it. Yeah. And that's a good lesson to learn too. Yep. So yep. you're doing them a favor. Thanks. You're, you're doing a good job, mama. Okay. My last question. Are you green juice or tequila? <laughs> well, everyone's both. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm a margarita. Does that count as both? Yeah. <laughs> we've had some, we've had a couple people just mix the two together. Okay. Even at ten o'clock sessions, we're like, oh, I'm like sure, but there's a little tequila in there. Um, I am definitely both. Awesome. Well, you know what? I am like so inspired by our conversation today. And before we kind of close this session, like I would love to just hear what maybe little nugget that you have to offer or give to that woman who started their business or that working mom who's trying to find the balance of life or, you know, that gal who is in front of the VC for the first time, like what little nugget can you give? Maybe it's in a couple words to those women. Mm. Well, and it's not a couple words, but yeah. one is how important it is for more women to be at the table, starting businesses, running businesses, solving problems. We really, really need women because they do have these insights and they have these incredible strengths. And so they need to start those businesses or join or you know be out there and have that perseverance to not let culture push them down successfully because the culture needs to change. And so we really need to change it by bringing more women into it. And then secondly, I guess, is being authentic and just being who you are because there aren't a lot of great role models in business. And even a lot of women in business aren't leading with their feminine power. They're, you know, molding to the masculine kind of Mm -hmm. ecosystem. And Mm -hmm. so I think as much as women can bring their authentic selves into, you know, solving all these different problems, whatever, if it's a small business or, or, you know, VC backable one, it doesn't matter. Um, but really bringing their authentic self to, I love that. Yeah. The situation. I think that being authentic, you can't lose with that. Mm -hmm. You don't want to try to be someone you're not, or not share something because out of fear of or share something real about yourself out of fear that it might prohibit you from moving forward or getting that promotion or whatever it might be. Like I'm a firm believer, whatever energy you put out into the universe, you're going to magnetize and attract the right people and the right opportunities back because of that. So, well, I love that. I just am so grateful you came on today and I just love like getting to know you even more now through this episode. And I'm so excited for you guys to just be able to absorb everything that we talked about. And, you know, I always like to end my sessions too. If 
if people want to reach out to you or follow you or read up on your next best thing or whatever you guys are working on, um, like what routes, obviously don't email her. <laughs> yeah. Don't Here's my email. email. <laughs> <laughs> Just email me at this one here. <laughs> uh, we've, we have our website, truewealthvc.com. Okay. And we've got lots of news um, articles and things like that about portfolio or, you know, things we've, we've done. Um, but we've tried to keep an event site up to date about yes. community events where we're going, where people can meet us um, or it. that we think are great. But we'll always be there. If it's on our event site, we'll be there. Awesome. So that's probably Perfect. the best way. Awesome. Okay, y'all. Well, thank you so much for listening to Green Juice and Tequila. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.